and welcome to tea time that's right we are back and we are starting off a whole new month and i have the incredible thomas l rose in the back of the studio waiting to come and share on grief and mystery that's right we're going to do a little bit of speaking on grief and some mystery we're going to get the secret that's in the pasta we're going to know a little bit about everything and we're going to do some cooking together but we don't actually go into a kitchen we're going to talk a little bit about his cookbooks and all of that good stuff and if you have any questions or any comments that you'd like to leave leave them in the comment section or directly send them to miss liz in her facebook page and i will get them out to tom while we're talking this morning so before we get started don't forget to grab your tea grab your coffee and grab your breakfast because it's really important that we all start off with our breakfast this morning so let's get the disclaimer going and then let's get tom a little bit on tom and then we're going to get tom in here and we're going to spill you a good tea this morning with me miss liz disclaimer for miss liz's tea time live show miss liz myself is going live using Streamyard. before leaving a comment please grant Streamyard permission to see your name at streamyard.com Please be advised that the content brought forward for any Tea Time show hosted by myself, Miss Liz, is always brought forward in good faith. However, may bring forward dialogues and opinions that are not representative of my platform. The facts and information are perceived to be accurate at the giving time of airing. All Tea Time guests and audience participants are responsible for using their good judgment and taking any action that may relate to the discussion. The content brought forward may include discussions for some where they may be emotionally at risk. It is significant to know that this show is engaging in discussion forms only to offer and inspire awareness and connection and is not providing therapeutical advice. If you have any questions about the disclaimer or the panelists discussion, you may freely contact me, Ms. Liz, through my email at bookingmissliz at gmail.com. Moving forward, should you choose to voluntarily participate in today's show in any aspect, I myself, Ms. Liz, welcomes you. And should you decide that the show is not made for you at this time, I respect those wishes and will see you at a later show at a later date and time. And again, all tea times this year in 2023 are done on a Thursday, 10 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If it is not a Thursday, they are a rescheduled show, and they will be done on a Monday and a Tuesday. So... Getting that all out of the way, let's get a little bit on Thomas. So Thomas L. Rose was born in Peru, Indiana, to Norm and Donna Hip 
skin rose. I hope I'm saying it right. Uh, he has two younger sisters, Jacqueline uh, Rose Roberts, she's deceased, and Jill Rose England. The family moved in 1953 from Peru to Gosden, Indiana, where he still resides. He attended St. John's Paracochol School, I'm not saying that right, and Gosden High School, graduating in 1958. He attended St. Joseph's Ball State and Goshen College. He was married to Joyce Grissom. In 1962, their son Brock was born in 1964. Brock and his wife Rose have a daughter, Amanda Rose McManon, who, who with her husband lives in Gaussian area. Tom worked in advertising and marketing most of his life and actually still does today with his son at Rose and Rose Associates. Tom and wife Joyce co-authored two cookbooks, Cooking Together Chinese Style and Cooking Together Quick and Easy. They also hosted a cooking segment on the local Fox TV affiliated for affiliate for 13 years. During that time, they toured the Midwest teaching cooking classes. After his wife's death, Tom, with the help of his son, he authored a third cookbook, Cooking Together Revisit, which is dedicated to Joyce with the proceeds going to the family's breast cancer support projects. Tom, along with his family, produced a YouTube cooking show, Cooking Together Generations, to help promote their breast cancer support project. So let me get Tom in here and let me sip on my tea. Uh, and let's give you a good, strong cup of tea this morning. So welcome, Tom. Thank you, Liz. It is an honor to have you here, Tom. Well, uh, thank you so much. So, Tom, I want to get into the little boy first and then the, the man you are today. I always like to ask that question because I'd like to see if there's a hidden gem that we carry along in life, just like we do with our teas and we flow our teas. So how were you as a little boy and, and who are you today as a grown man? Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, as a little boy, I was a, I was a wild kid. I was not very big, but I was wild. Uh, I figured you had to be tougher since you were littler, <laughs> uh, you had to act tough. So I did to cover up for the size, I suppose. And uh, I said, I suppose through life that that, that probably uh, uh, trans transmitted into uh, older life that that I did things and I was maybe more aggressive because uh, because of what from from being a child being smaller and everything, you know, the last guy picked to play on the basketball team, the last one to play to pick, you know, I got picked first sometimes because I had the basketball or I had the football, but uh, so I think you carry those things through and, and, and maybe later in life, you, uh, some of those things come back in your brain and you're a little more aggressive about things than you, you might've been, you know, uh, I'm sure uh, hardly, I hardly hear uh, big guys being described as cocky. Uh, because they don't have to be if I hear little guys of being cocky. <laughs> uh, so I guess I was cocky. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, and I guess uh, I learned in high school, uh, uh, I was pretty shy about things in the classroom. I wouldn't stand up and um, do things in front of the class. And, and a teacher found out if they made me mad, made me angry, got to something I believed or whatever, then I would speak. 
and uh, talked me into being on a debate club. And the next thing you know, I'm in theater and, and here I am today, you know, going out and speaking all over the place. So uh, I always look back and think uh, that teacher really, uh, really did something for me when they they challenged me that way, you know, took me to it. But I've been in, like I say, I've been in a, a lot of plays and things. I'm not a singer, but I, I was actor. I did a lot of uh, civic theaters in college. I did a lot of theater. So I guess that's the way it transitions through life. Well, and that's why I wanted to always know what the little boy was like, right? Because you got challenged, you got, and you became on the de debate club. And it also brought you into your adulthood, how you were able to uh, stand up for yourself. And, you know, but I, like we were saying before we went live is, you know, you changed a lot through your grief and through the process of your losses. Yes, and yes. That. So I want to get into that a little bit, uh, Tom. I want to get into how grief really changed you because people out there they think oh you lost somebody get over it right <laughs> grief right, is not right, grief right. doesn't work that way no so. it doesn't no it doesn't <laughs> so how did your grief uh, change you well i guess I, I guess i should start with the fact that so you understand a little bit where i'm coming from with this my wife had breast cancer in in 2003 and 2004 and both times she had a mastectomy and uh, she was a strong woman she went through that uh, I don't want to say without any problems, but she went very strong. She went through it. She she battled it. She she did everything that you wanted to do, even though she was going through the treatments, the chemo and the radiation. She didn't miss a dinner party or anything. Uh, so and then in 2004, after the 2004 episode, she was cancer free uh, until 2017. So we had, uh, I guess, what, 13 years there that we did a lot of things knowing that, you know, it's still there. The cancer's still there, but it's... So in 2017, it came back in the chest wall and the doctor gave her six months. Uh, and she lived two years. That's how strong she was. But the she had a tube in her chest that we had to drain. And, and she was going through uh, some chemos and some radiations. And, but for about a year and a half, she was pr pretty good. We, again, we kept doing things do, uh, that we wanted to do. The last three or four months were, were not good. Uh, we went to the hospital, and this was in July um, of 2018. Excuse me, 2000, yeah, 2019. And uh, we were having trouble with the drainage in the chest tube and everything, and we were going in for a radiation treatment. The doctor said, well, let's let's admit you here and let's take care of that chest tube thing. Well, that was a Monday. Well, Tuesday, it was plan A. Wednesday, it was plan B. Thursday, it was plan C. Friday, it was, what are we going to do? Saturday morning, she looked at me and she said, Tom, I'm done. I just want to go into hospice. I don't want any more chemo, any more radiation, any more poking and prodding, any more pills. I just want peace. I just want to rest. And so that Monday, uh, I, in fact, I came home that weekend and cleaned the whole house. You know, everything was going to be because I thought hospice was going to be. They get back on that Monday and the nurse comes in and says, well, Mrs. Rose, she said, you have two choices. You may stay here in the hospital for your hospice because it's not going to be a long time. They were very honest about that. And or you can go home. And she said, I want to stay in the hospital. That was like stab me in the chest. I didn't understand. I thought she'd want to come home and be with me. And, you know, uh, I do understand now she did it for me. So I didn't have to do anything. The hospital did it all. But she was in hospice for three weeks. Three weeks, she didn't have anything but water and pain pills. 
I was there 24 seven. Well, my kids would come and relieve me for an hour or so in the afternoon, but basically I was there 24 seven. All I could do was hold her hand. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't read, couldn't listen to music. All I could do is hold her hand and think. Now, when this happens, you begin to discover things about yourself that, you know, maybe you don't like. <laughs> uh, you begin to question your beliefs. You, you start thinking about your life and what you did and what you didn't do. And all these things race through your brain all the time. Again, like I say, 15, 16 hours a day, you know. So after her death, which she died on a, a Monday, the Thursday before that. Now, again, remember, she's been there for almost three weeks. Um, only pain pills, maybe a little water. And my granddaughter is a very accomplished singer. Uh, in fact, she graduated from college in theater arts. My wife had said, oh, I'm going to miss hearing Amanda sing. And I had said something to her and Amanda came that evening, that Thursday evening. I went home to change clothes and everything. Amanda came and sang for her grandmother. I guess she put a show on for the whole wing of the hospital. <laughs> they were all crying. She, I don't know how many songs she did. But anyway, that night I get back and everybody leaves. And my wife sits up in bed and she's very lucid. And she looks at me and she points her finger at me and she said, we have to talk. I went, oh, when my wife said, we have to talk, we have to talk, right? You know. So she, she tells me that she doesn't want videos and she doesn't want all the pictures at the funeral home. And it's, we have already agreed it's a closed casket. She wants people to remember the way she looked, not the way she looks now. And she took my hand and she looked at me and she said, I love you. I'll see you in church. And that's the last thing she said to me. She went to sleep in the weekend and Monday she passed away. Now, when I'm doing my speaking engagements, I always ask women if, there's, if they can say a sentence without a command at the end. You know, your husband gets home from work, you say, hi, God, how was your day? Oh, by the way, would you take out the garbage and check my right front tire of my car? We're in the garage. I think it's low on air. My, my wife did that to me. See, she sang me right at the end. She knew what she was doing. She smiled when she said it. I will see you in church. I have to go to church because my wife told me I had to go to church. So when you back to what you said uh I kind of thought my grief started that Saturday when she said I wanted to go to hospice. And so that whole three weeks uh, was, was the beginning of my grief, I thought, until she actually died. And it all changed because it was, it was, she's never going to be here again. While she was in hospice, I mean, I would go home and, I would come back and she'd be there. Uh, uh, I'd fall asleep at night in that chair in the, in the room and I'd wake up and she was there. Her hand was still holding my hand. But that Monday, she was gone. Um, uh, the nurse, in fact, said, well, Mr. Rose, you can stay in the room as long as you want. I said, no, she's not here. She's gone. So I, that's, when, that's when the grief starts. Now that first week, you're so busy. Uh, it was that was Monday. It was go to the funeral home on Tuesday and and then have the uh, visitation on Thursday and then the funeral on Friday. So you're just everything's happening fast. Uh, 
uh, the visitation, we had 460 people come. Wow. Uh, then the funeral on that Friday, funeral was in the morning, had the typical <laughs> church lunch afterwards. A lot of my friends came back to my house here. We sat out on my deck. I'm sure we drank a few bottles of wine. <laughs> uh, we talked and told stories and, you know, uh, all of a sudden it was nine o'clock and everyone was gone. And I had to walk back in this house and I didn't want to come back in here because I knew she wasn't here, but I did it. That Saturday, Sunday was I kind of remember. I don't remember. But that's when my real grief started, because for the next three months, I was in misery. I was terrible. Uh, didn't think I was going to survive. Didn't know what I was going to do. No, I hid it from people. Uh, um, maybe not my family, but most people I hid it from. I went to church because she told me I'd go to church, but I kicked God out of my life. I said, you didn't do what I asked to get out of my life. But I go to church and I'd get the little prayer hands and I'd sit there and, and I did the pity thing, okay? I'd say, oh, the people look, oh, there's Tom Rose. He lost his wife. I feel sorry for him. I ate that up, you know? Finally, one night, again, it was she died in August. This was in November. I'd gone through three months of this. I hadn't cried. I hadn't done a lot of things that they say you're going to do. I was sitting there, and if you could see our house, it's an open concept. There's a, a bar thing. The kitchen's on one side, the living room on the other, the dining area over here. And so it's all big open thing. And there's three bar stools. We That's where we sat for dinner every evening. And and you mentioned it earlier, we both like to cook. So whosever turn it was would be in the kitchen. The other person would be sitting at the counter. We'd have a glass of wine. And that was our time. That two hours from five to seven every evening was the time we talked about our day, whatever, you know. Uh, but anyway, so this evening I, I'm doing my dinner by myself. It's November. It's cold. I remember snow and raining, sleeting, crummy weather. I've got Frank Sinatra on the stereo. <laughs> I've got the fireplace going. I've got this. I mean, I got this mood all set up to be terrible, you know, right there. And so I have my glass of wine to dinner and I eat my dinner and have my glass of wine with my dinner. And then I look at the bottle and there's not so much in it. And I pour it in and say, you'd waste not want not, you know. But then I get up to walk over, I think, to change your record, and I caught my foot on the bar stool, and I fall on the floor. Right on the carpet, fortunately. And I remember sitting there, laying there, thinking, my God, what will my wife think of me? First thing was, we mentioned earlier, she always say, it is what it is, put on your big boy pants and deal with it. And I'm thinking, well, how would she, what would she think about me right now laying here? She would be so ashamed of me. And I hadn't cried. I really had not cried. Maybe a little tear at this funeral, but I had not cried. I sat down that night in my little easy chair, and I cried, and I cried, and I, it was buckets. I was wringing wet right down to my socks. I remember going to bed and thinking, man, it's gonna, you're gonna be it's going to be terrible in the morning. Now, that whole three months, everything was black and white to me. I got up that morning, that next morning, and there was color. I looked out the window, it was a beautiful day. I thought, I've got to do this. I've got to handle grief. I've got to, I, you know, I just kind of put up my fist. I said, okay, come on, grief, I'm ready for you. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to handle you. And that, that's the, I guess I call that my epiphany that night, okay? <laughs> that, that 
it changed everything for me. I suddenly knew that I had to do it. And I, I you said it earlier, I had to do it. Nobody else could do it. You can't, you can't fix grief. You know, all I tell everybody is, hey, you can't fix it. Just listen to the person. That's all they need. Just let them talk, which I'm doing now, right? So, uh, so that started my the whole change in me. Um, all of those things I thought about those three weeks, just thinking, all came back. Um, someone had told me one time that grief is like a ball in a box. It bounces around. And when it hits the side or something, a memory comes back. What you don't want it to do is hit a corner and have three things going on at once because you can't handle it. Yeah. And I said, nah, it's just it's a little more like a balloon in a box, the balloon behind me. If you take that balloon by the string and you want to move it over here, sometimes it stays here. <laughs> and sometimes when you want it here, it moves over here. So it's a little bit more difficult to control. And a lady told me, she said one time, she said, well, Tom, she said, why don't you just let go of that balloon? Then you won't have any problems. I said, ma'am, I said, all my memories are in that balloon. Everything, my whole, all, all our memories are in that balloon. I don't want to let those go. I want to keep them. So that's, that's my crutch. That's my thing. I, I, it's the balloon. The balloon's here with me. Now, when I'm at home, I let the balloon go because, you know, it can bounce around and if it brings back a memory and I cry, I cry. I don't want to cry in the grocery store, so I try to control the balloon when I'm in the grocery store. You know, I don't want to start laughing about something I remember. In the you know, people think I'm crazy. So, but so I, I've got that balloon. So that's that's my thing. I I really loved a balloon. I never thought of grief that way, and it's true. You know, a balloon is hard to control sometimes. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's a, it, the balloon's affected by everything or, or the environment around it. A ball, you can, you know, but a balloon, if a, with a little breeze, whew, you know, it's going to move. Yeah. <laughs> so, and sometimes when you release it, you just don't know where it's going to go, right? Or where it's going to land. Yeah. Yeah. So what I learned was, what I have learned, uh, uh, when I wrote the first book, I self-published it. The second book here is the, the first book just with some revisions, some updates. And one of my update things is when I first talked about it, I said, well, as time goes on, the balloon gets a little smaller. What I've really learned is that's not true. The box just gets bigger. The balloon doesn't get any smaller because it's got everything in it. The box just gets a little bigger. So you are able to control it a little better. The longer you go, the bigger that box gets. So the more you're able to control a balloon, the more you will learn to control a balloon. But I know that that balloon's with me the rest of my life. That box is there the rest of my life. Grief is not going to go away. Uh, it, it, you can't be with somebody for 58 years and not have, when that's, you know, most of your life, <laughs> the majority of your life, and, and that person's gone. You can't just push it aside. It's not, it's not something you say, okay, well, I, I did this, but, you know, I can push that. You can't do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you try, if you try to do that, then it's going to make it worse because it's going to come back and it's going to. So this way, I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked when something comes back, when something hits me. Uh, I, I'm kind of ready for it. I can handle it. Um, I tell a story. The uh, that first uh, Thanksgiving, which was about two or three weeks after my epiphany. OK, uh, we always had Thanksgiving at our house. The kids always come in. Our house was bigger and everything. Uh, so 
kids said to me, they said, hey, dad, you just do the turkey like you always do. And we're going to bring everything else. My granddaughter and her husband, my son and daughter-in-law, actually, we're having some friends with them. So I'm in my kitchen. Now, you're going to say, please don't think badly of me, but you're going to think uh, uh, I'm sitting at, I'm standing at that, my butcher block, got my glass of wine sitting up on the bar, okay? And I've got that bird there, and I'm stuffing that bird with the fruit and herbs and everything I did. And I put the string and tie the legs. I need a finger to hold that so I can finish that knot. She's not there. She's not there to put the finger on that knot. And I start crying and I start laughing because that was always our joke. She'd put her finger there and say, who taught, who did this when you tied your Eagle Scout knots? You know, my wife was a, a brunette, big brown eyes. I, I think I said one time I, I was a cute little blonde, blue-eyed blonde. I think I got a dish right side of the head, but, you know. Um, but that was our life. Um I tell people, I make people in, in my talk, in my speeches, uh, I, t I make everybody say, I love you. I say, I want everybody now to say, I love you. And when they're done, I say, don't forget to keep saying that. Um, I don't know that I said it enough uh, or she said it enough. I think you assume, you know, you love each other. Um, but you don't say it enough. You don't say it often enough. And one of the one of the things I, I stressed over in that grief period of time was the things we didn't do. All the things we planned to do. We wanted to do this. We wanted to do that. Well, we didn't do them. Finally, one time I thought, no, wait a minute. Stop. You were married for 58 years almost. You did a lot of things. So think about the things you did do, not what you didn't do. Yeah. Uh, however, that discovering, when I said discovering that things about you, you maybe don't like. I, everybody's selfish to a certain extent. In fact, you have to be. There's a certain amount. You have to be. We selfish. all have that selfish side to us. And you have to have that to protect yourself. But I remember thinking, I was sitting here holding her hand in the hospital, and I'm thinking, I remember last fall, she came walked in the TV room on a Sunday afternoon, beautiful October afternoon. I'm watching the football game. She said, let's, we live, the cemetery's actually behind us. Nice place to walk, golf course on one side, cemetery on the other. And, and they're both nice places to walk. And she said, I'm going for a walk in the cemetery. You want to go with me? I said, no, I want to watch the Bears play football. Well, the Bears are probably going to lose anyhow. I should have gone on the walk. That's the one thing I, ever that keeps coming up, I regret. Every time I'm sitting there, I look out and I see it nice and I walk in the cemetery. I think I wish I'd have gone on that one walk. I wish I'd have gone that time because the next October she wasn't there. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's a, but, but at this point, after four years, I'm a happy person. I'm a happy person because of the 58 years I had with her. Because of her, I'm a happy person. Uh, yes, I miss her. Yes, I wish she was here. Yes, I still go through my moments. Uh, you know, uh, sit down to have my dinner by myself, and uh, maybe I get a little tear. Uh, sometimes I start laughing because I'll think of something we did or we didn't do or whatever, you know. Uh, but I, overall, I'm a happy person. I'm moving on with my life. Um, 
I'm doing something, this is by accident with the book, speaking to people about grief, like 80 speeches so far. People coming up and saying, oh, my God, you helped me, or this or that or that, you know, uh, emails that I get, stories that I get. Uh, so I know I'm helping. In fact, I wrote in the book, if, if I helped one other person because it helped me, then the book was a success. Well, I know at this point, after uh, almost 17 months, I guess, that I've helped people and I continue to help people. So that has become my quest, my ministry, so to speak. This is what I want to do. I now know what he wants me to do. Um, I, I run into so many people. Uh, am I speaking things that say, oh, we're you're not doing anything. Oh, my wife died. My husband died. I just sit around. I say, no, you've got to. You've got to move forward. I do not want to be the one that goes and stands in front of my maker and say, hey, you gave me 10 years or five years or 20 years, whatever it is after that, after that event. And I didn't do anything with it. I'm going to be able to, I think, face him and say, hey. I, I did. I did what I think you wanted me to do. Sir, you know, <laughs> I did. But I think you. I think I got it. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think I got. I think I got the message. You know. Uh, so that's my life now. So Tom, and all the listening audience out there that's listening now and that will listen later, grief is hard. Grief does come with a lot of lessons, and it does teach us a lot. It does teach us to live in a different way and sometimes it actually changes us in the way that we should have been you know what i mean and i hate uh -huh. using that word should because i know as somebody who has gone through grief should is not something that we should be doing on anybody but it actually opens up doors and avenues that we might have not ever looked at had we not lost that person correct you know correct uh, and that's why i asked you that question how has grief changed you and grief has changed you to open up that avenue of sharing maybe you were that person that wasn't sharing you know that tough ego that was ah, i got this you know what it is uh and your wife yeah. it is what it is uh i use that saying a lot myself it is what it is <laughs> you know and i always get told stop saying that and i'm like you know what guys it is what it is we just got to deal with it you know yeah it's not, yeah. It's not gonna go anywhere until we deal with it yeah. All I hope is, is maybe uh, somebody reads my book or, or I give a little uh, speaking presentation. I, I can't change their grief. I can't make it go away. But what I can maybe do is make that journey a little smoother. Maybe I can take a few of the bumps out of the road or a few of the potholes. So so their grief journey is a little smoother. That's all I can do. That's yeah. all I can. And part of the reason... Part of the reason I ended up writing the book, and I don't mean to demean these people, okay? But I went online looking for help. The help I got wasn't really help. When they tell you, well, you're going to go through these five things. Well, <laughs> no, <laughs> and not in that order, and maybe never, you know, some of them. Uh, and you need to do, it, it's got to go this way, this way, this way. You can't put it... <laughs> so to speak, in a box. You can't, because it's different for everybody. Your experience, my experience, uh, it's all different. Yeah. Everybody I talk to, any speaking things, uh, they're going through grief like I'm going through, but their journey is different than mine. 
because of the lives they lived before, because of the relationship, whatever it is, there's this difference. Uh, personality, my personality and somebody else's personality having the same experience is going to be different. You're going to handle it different. So, so that's what I try to say. I try to say, all I can do is maybe take a few of the bumps out. And I always tell people, just remember, you can't fix it. Just listen to them. Just listen to the griever. That's what they need. Uh, uh, there's somebody said, I don't have a quote exactly right, but said the griever needs three things. They need to find the words, say the words, and know the words been heard. I had that opportunity when I wrote the book, when I gave a speech, people allow me to do that. There's one problem that occurs with me, though, and, and you have to think about this a little bit. And I don't mean it in a bad way, but I think people have to understand Every time I give one of these speeches, things, I relive things. I relive part of that grief that maybe I would be past now if I didn't keep repeating it. You know, it repeated 80 times. I repeat my story 80 times about being miserable for three months, okay, and about my epiphany. And it all comes back to me. Uh, I get in the car to go home. My son drives with me usually. In fact, he does my introduction, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> Maybe only speaking for 45 minutes, but I'm tired because I, all those things have come out of me again, all those emotions. So that that's the difficult part of it. But I don't, I don't, I want to take it away. I'll take that. I'll take that difficult because I love what I'm doing. Yeah. I had a, had a woman um, eh, about three weeks ago. I think it was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, wherever. She came up to me afterwards and she said, Mr. Rose, can I give you a hug? I said, well, sure. I take hugs from ladies all the time. And she hugged me and she said, thank you. You got me out of my dark period. And there was a friend standing with her. She said, you did. This is the first time I've seen her smile. And I said to the lady, I said, well, wonderful. I said, I I'm glad. Uh, how long has it been? And she said, 12 years. I said, no way. I could have been like I was for 12 years. Uh, so those are the kind of things, those are the kind of stories we get, you know, all the time. Yeah. One, of my, one of my best stories is uh, last August, a year ago in August, I got a call one evening and the answer was a young man. He said, Mr. Rose, I just read your book. I said, oh, thank you. He said, oh, you don't understand. He said, I'm a senior in college. I have a serious relationship with a woman we think we're going to get married last night at, or another night at dinner i asked my mother how do i know i'm in love and she had my book because her husband died i guess and he, he says she gave me your book and i said oh i guess i wrote a love story you know now a sidebar to that is, is uh, this last june i got a wedding invitation from them <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> they, got they got married on the East Coast, so I couldn't go. But uh, at least I could send him a cookbook and a, my novel was a gift. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, those are the kind of things that happen to you. And uh, they, kind of, they kind of affect you. Uh, I think I dropped a little tear that night too, sitting here afterwards thinking, oh, prison does that, did that to me too. I, I was going to speak to, uh, there were 12 of them, uh, young men in a drug rehab program. And they're, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a school thing. They have to, they live in the same ward. They have classes every day. 
and a gal that was running the program said, Mr. Rhodes, I want you to come speak, and I'm going to give them your book there to read the book, and then you're supposed to come back. And they were supposed to have you quest have questions for you, which I did. But it was hot. Again, it was in a hot August day. They, uh, they all gave me a big hug. I went out to my car and I opened up my car. And I sat there on the seat. I, I, I cried. It got me. I couldn't, you know, in fact, some lady walked by one up. I was okay. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, but those are the kind of things that are happening to me over this period of time, too. So, But that's it. That's where I am. Well, and, and by sharing your story, Tom, you've met people that you probably never would have met had it not been for the loss. No, that's right. That's you know? true. And, yeah. and I think that's that's the message that he gives us, right, is that he's going to put people in our in our in front of us that we're, we would have never seen had it not been for our loss. Well, that's a little bit about my I hear people say, well, you know, God did this and God did that and God did this. I think God gives you opportunities. He puts them in front of you. He gave us a free will. So. It's our decision to take advantage of them. Sure, maybe he knows how dumb we are and we won't take advantage of it, but he puts it there anyhow. Yeah. Because um, we have we, we have that free will to do that, to, to make that decision. And then we have to live with those decisions we make in life. So, yeah, uh, I, I told those the guys in the, in the prison, we, we talk about it that way. Hey, you, you guys made a dumb choice, right? <laughs> you know? uh, in fact, their questions when I went back at time were so intelligent and intellectual. I said, I said, hey, wait a minute, stop. What the heck are you guys doing here? Your questions are, are very intelligent, very intellectual. And all of them said, well, we screwed up our lives, Mr. Rose. We're not going to do it again. But the other thing is, they were most of them were there, were on drugs because of some grief. They lost a parent. They lost a wife. They lost a girlfriend. They lost a family. You know, lost a family. And it pushed them over the edge. Yeah. Which, which I guess, uh, looking back on my sitting there drinking the wine that night, I could have gone the next day and bought a bottle of whiskey and <laughs> turned into an alcoholic. You know, I, I don't know. I, you know, uh, I, yeah. I made the decision to do. You know, and I it probably would have been easy to have done that and still been in my miserable, miserable state. You know, four years later, I don't know. So, Tom, I think it's a good time to ask you for your tea. Uh, if I ask okay. you. Three words are what three words would you give me for the TEA? Time. My time that I had with with my wife. Everlasting. Uh, the everlasting love, because I still love her. In fact, my love continues to grow for her. And action. The actions that I'm taking moving forward. Helping, hopefully helping people, remembering her, taking her with me, not leaving her behind, but action moving forward. I love that you put, I I love that you put that everlasting love because like you said, that the young man who invited you to his wedding, you know, you said, maybe I wrote a love story. Maybe the balloon in the box was a love story. You know, it was your love story to share with the world. Well, if you think about it, it is because grief is love. Without love, there is no grief. So it is that. Uh, And in fact, in the Bible, there are, I think there are four kinds of love. The Greeks have six. And both of them have one called pragma. 
And pragma is continuing love. A love that continues to grow. Now, when you're married and uh, the husband leaves his underwear on the bathroom floor and, and doesn't hang up the towel, leaves it there, the wife gets upset with him. And then he's upset with her for being upset with him. And that love doesn't continue to grow at that time. But now that Joyce is not with me here, I can't screw up like that. <laughs> <laughs> so my love for her continues to grow. In fact, I tell people I love her more now than I did four or five years ago, just because of that. Because it's just allowed to, I don't get upset with her. Yeah. You know, and she doesn't get upset with me. So it, it just continues to grow. So yeah, it, 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 Blue in the Box was a love story. So I want to get into the cooking, cooking together. Because okay. cooking does bring people together. So Correct. how did you come up with that name, Cooking oh. Together? God, you ask these tough questions. At the, at I know, I'm, I'm such a hardball, right? No, no, I'm that, just that, like, no, oh, no. Miss Liz, like, give the man a break. <laughs> no, 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 it's not a tough question. It's just a detailed story. Okay, uh, I like to cook. Uh, on the weekends, I would cook, you know, we're typing. And uh, we we would do it together, she and I, but, you know. Uh, one Christmas, my sister sent me a walk. In that February, I got the box out and I read the book. And the, so I start cooking with a walk. Well, I had, we had some friends, another couple, and he liked to cook and he was good. And then his wife, and we would go to each other's house for dinner. And so I had them over for Chinese. And uh, he thought, oh, this is cool. He said, I'm going to get me a walk. So he got a walk and he's doing, and they were exchanging things back and forth. Hey, I did this. Hey, I did that. Uh, there was a, there's a local college here, Goshen College. That's a, a small religious college. And there was an advertisement in the paper that some gal there was teaching a Chinese cooking class, probably as part of her. I think she was probably, I don't think they call them home ec now, but whatever, home ec teacher anyway. And she's part of her class. So she's teaching this class. So he and I decided to go. And it was like three weeks and we went to it for three weeks. And shortly after that, we were out to dinner with our wives. And one of them said, hey, you guys never say anything about your Chinese cooking class. And we said, well, I was okay, but we could have probably done better. Mistake, because his wife was with the, was the director at the YWCA. And a week later, we're out to dinner, and she says, oh, by the way, in two weeks, you guys are teaching a Chinese cooking class at the Y. We said, what? She said, yeah, you were so smart, you think you can do it? Do it. So he and I said, okay, we've been challenged, let's do it. So we did it. Everybody loved it. They wanted us to do it again. He and I did it about three times that year and two times the next year five or six times he and i did it and then he retires and moves to florida well the y kept calling and say would you come do this class and i said i don't do it by myself now my wife is not one who wanted to stand on the stage okay or be a speaker or hey, do what i'm doing now no way finally i said honey please they want me to do it i should do it uh will you help me with it I said, you don't have to talk. I'll talk. Just be there. And I'll, oh, okay, I'll do it. So we did it. We did it for about 10 years. Oh. And as a result, what happened was my son, we're an advertising marketing business. My son knew the, uh, one of the people at the Fox affiliate and mentioned that we had, well, the people said we needed to write a cookbook. So we wrote a book and then we got the book and he said, got 
on TV on the morning show to bring our book and cook a little recipe. So we went and uh, we did it and sat with the people that the host and hostess of the show. And we had a good time and we left and tell them there was a phone call from the producer and said, would you come back once a month? And I said, my wife, she said, oh, okay. It was kind of fun. Okay, we'll go. Well, we went back two weeks later. And then after that, we went every week for 13 years. So now we knew we couldn't just cook Chinese for 13 years. So we just started doing all kinds of things um, and wrote two cookbooks from it. That while well, we had written a cookbook, Chinese cookbook, we wrote a cookbook called Quick and Easy because those are the type of recipes that we kind of filtered towards because we were on it, oh, 7.30 in the morning. And so it was young mothers and housewives and, you know, and they needed family things. So uh, actually we, you know, we did, we did some more complicated. Most of our recipes, they were pretty simple and easy and, and quick. Uh, and so we wrote that cookbook. And then, like you said, when my wife died, uh, I was going through stuff here. I found a, oh, it must have been a thousand recipes that we'd collected and been doing over the last 15 years. We stopped doing the TV in 2004, so uh, so it was 13 years, I guess. And so I thought, hmm, I kind of, I had them all stacked on my desk, and my son came in, so where are those? And I told him, he said, oh, yeah, to do another cookbook. So we did. Uh, he and I helped me and my granddaughter helped me. Uh, my granddaughter and, and he, we do a YouTube thing called Cooking Together Generations now where the three of us just cook in my kitchen. Whatever happens, happens. We just have fun family together cooking. We do about six or eight episodes at a time and then put them on YouTube and then don't do anything for a while and then do some more. So that's kind of fun too. But so so that, that's the cooking experience. And again, by accident. Totally by accident. Everything my wife was well, by I accident. I know. <laughs> And I really love the name Cooking Together Generations because we need to keep the generations together. You know, we need exactly. to keep putting that story out there so that when we're gone, there is a story to still tell. Yeah, I think I think my granddaughter will have some great, great, great memories of her of her grandmother and her grandfather and her father. Uh, we did uh, uh, Labor Day. Uh, we did a big family cooking thing. So we 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 smoked a pork pork shoulder and pulled pork and somebody doing beans and somebody's doing this exotic salad and somebody and my granddaughter's making fancy drinks and <laughs> you know it was just a, a family day a couple of neighbors came over you know uh, and we love to cook that way I have an outside kitchen so everything was being done outside I have a microwave refrigerator burners smokers grills griddles everything out there so you uh, know where to go when you want something to eat outside <laughs> that's right uh, so you know we do that. But yeah, it, it, again, again, that's what back to that thing I, I said earlier. I understand that what life is now, it's pretty simple. It's just moments and experiences that become memories. And I, every day, new memory. That, that This last Sunday is a memory that was created. Uh, I had a memory created when I spoke at that theater. I mean, what a thrill for a guy 82 years old to stand on a stage where when 12 years old, he was going to the movies there, stand on the stage in front of 300 people, have 300 people applaud when he's done. What a thrill. Uh, my second one like that, my other one like that was, we went back to Peru, Indiana, to the Catholic church there to speak. And I got to speak at that church. I almost couldn't do it when I started out. I had this big frog in my throat. And I'm looking around and I'm like, Wait a minute, you were a 12-year-old 
altar boy here. And now here you are standing in this church speaking to all these people sitting out there. Uh, so uh, those kind of things. Yeah. And again, that's that's in my balloon now. That's in my balloon. Uh, yeah, I take that with me. So, so I want to get, uh, Dom, I want to get, we're almost at the end here. Yeah. Uh, time is just flying by. Like, oh, yeah. The balloon is all. Blue is, like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm long with <laughs> No, no, no. That's you all good. You shouldn't ask me the question. See, you got trouble. The minute you ask me the question, you were done. But I want to get into the mystery because oh, okay. we have grief and we also have mystery. So okay. how did you get into the mystery side of? Well, you see, you you write a write the balloon in a box and you, and you write the cookbook. Well, you know, cookbooks are cookbooks are not that difficult. But anyway, so you write the balloon in the box, and then everybody's telling you how good it is. And, oh my God! You start to get cocky, okay? Which we learned we learned earlier. I was, and you think, hey, I can. I can write a novel. Now, I told you I didn't pay attention in English class when I was in high school, nor when I was in college. Now, all of a sudden, I'm writing a novel. Now, I got this, these stories in my brain that I've never, I've never tried to do that before. I wrote a play, a play when I was in college. That's the closest thing I ever did to writing anything. So, anyway, that's, again, it's cold, miserable weather. And I figured, what the heck, write a book, you know. So, I wrote the book. It's a the Secrets in the Pasta. It's a murder mystery. It takes place in a, an Italian restaurant. Um, the interesting thing about writing a book like that, you have to create characters. And the only characters you know are your friends and the people you're acquainted with. You know, I mean, you could become a character. See, I know you now. I know so You told me some <laughs> of the stuff before we went on about your life. So, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't use your name, and you wouldn't know it. Was, you wouldn't know it was you. You wouldn't know it was you. But you put those things in there. Uh, interesting, as you uh, probably, I, it's written in the first person. The detective, it's been first person, uh, and so it's very obvious to my friends that he is me. <laughs> uh, it's me a heck of a lot younger. Uh, he loses his wife. Uh, in an automobile, hit and run automobile accident, not cancer. But so now I can take my experiences, my feelings, and put him in this character. He's not, uh, see, that's the other thing. I, the, the outline of the story, the creating story is nothing to it. All right. I mean, I knew this is this was going to happen. This was going to happen. Here's where it's going to end. It's writing all those characters, creating those characters, making them real. Making them real people, not just a name, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, well, you see that on television. Uh, uh, they take a character in. Not he's not just a detective, but he has his strengths and his weaknesses. I mean, I think if you're a good writer, you don't. I, I, my detective is not Superman because I'm not Superman. So he has his strength and he has his weaknesses. Everybody in the book has those things, you know. Um, so it was fun. Uh, I wrote it and I sent it to this publisher and he said, yeah, we like it. Take it. So there it is. Not, it's not a long, it, it's just barely a novel. Uh, I mean, by the number of words, I think 60,000 uh, words is something which you have to have to be considered a novel. I think this is probably 60,250 or something like that, but, but it, it's a short, it's a short, it's an easy read. Um, uh, I'm probably working on a sequel. I don't know. I got it. 
notes up here. I haven't put anything down yet, but sometime I'll write it, you know, because oh, uh, and... it's open at the end. The detectives, I mean, the story, all those characters are there at the end. They're, you know, all still moving forward, but you just don't know where. So I think I can take them wherever. <laughs> well, and you're always meeting new people. So you have new characters, right? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. And, and you mix characters together. Okay. Um, but that was that was the fun part was to say, uh, okay, I have t Tony as a detective now. Tony, easy, okay. But then I have I have a a, a priest in it, and uh, the priest is probably a combination of three priests that I've known that be our friends, not not just priests but friends. Uh, there's a there's a love story in it that's kind of starting, but. Um, it's not happening, but it is, uh, it'll, it's kind of just there. We're not sure, you know, uh, at the gal's divorced gal, um, the, uh, the man that was killed, uh, uh, did, did a bad thing, uh, ended up, uh, paying for it with his life, uh, was a good guy. Uh, he, he just, did something he shouldn't have done and uh, he ended up dying. Uh, we have the, 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 the Italian family in there, which a typical Italian family, you know, they're all, <laughs> uh, the, the guy in the restaurant and, uh, and Tony are friends and his wife and, and his two daughters and his brother. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's so, but again, to create those people and, and, and the guy probably doesn't even know it. The Italian restaurant is uh, where I go. Uh, it, it it's partly his family because I knew about some of his family. His his father was the, you know, the old man, the old Italian guy. You know, you got to have him in there. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away. So in this book, he's not there, but he is. Things he said, things he believed in, are there, but he's no longer there. Uh, th that affect the family. So you know, it's fun to doing those things. So and, Tom, Tom, how did you get that title, "The Secrets in the The Secrets in the Pasta"? Well, if I told you, then I'd give the book away. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I'd give the end of the story away. So we're not going to find out what the secret no, is. No, you're not. <laughs> you got to go out and get the book. You got to buy the book. <laughs> got to buy. It. I do that with balloon in a box. I I tell people uh, that you what I do is with people when I'm in a grief group at the church or I actually did. And when new people come and they're kind of quiet, they just sit, especially if they've lost a spouse, I will say to them, tell me about your first date. And they always smile because that's a, a pleasant experience. And so in my book, I tell everybody about my first date. I will tell you a little snippet of my first date. On my first date, Six people in the car, okay, coming from a movie and pizza. My wife suddenly says, unzip my dress. <laughs> so I'll leave it there. If you want to know the rest of the story, you got to. <laughs> That's buy, where the secret in the posse is. <laughs> no, you got to buy a balloon in a box and you'll find out the rest of that story. Now make up what you want to make up, but you won't make it up right. I promise. <laughs> so Tom, if anybody would like to get your books, where can they get your books? The books, both the books, uh, Balloon in the Box and The Secret in the Poster are on Amazon. 
They're also on my website. The cookbook is on my website. It's not on Amazon. Uh, yeah, I think you've got my uh, uh, website there. Uh, go on my website. My email address is there. My phone number is there if you want to pick up the phone call. If you want to talk about grief, if I, if you, if you think, hey, maybe if I talk to this strange, weird guy that was on on, on Liz's, uh, maybe he can help me with grief, or or maybe he would just listen to me, uh, since he doesn't really know me personally. Maybe it would be easier for me to tell him things. Hey, call me. I sit here and listen to you. I love it. I've had a lot of phone calls like that. So uh, I, I put just put two gentlemen together who'd lost their wives, both struggling, uh, talked to me. And I said, well, I'd like to. So I had the three of us have coffee and I conveniently had to leave for a meeting. I left two of them together. This was about three months ago. I understand they're good friends. Now they're going to baseball games together and doing stuff. So I did something there. I think I helped them both because I gave them each a friend and a friend that was going through the same thing and they can talk together and share. And that's what they tell me. Oh, we share it all now. Uh, you know, we tell all the stories about my wife did this and I did that. And she did this and we did that. So uh, that's the kind of thing you can kind of thing, I guess I can do. So, awesome. I love it. Love so, it. Tom, what's your final message for the listening audience out there? I guess the thing about grief, uh, which is which, like I said, is my mission now, my, my quest. Uh, if you know somebody's grieving. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to help because you can't help. The way you can help is simply listen to them. Let them talk. Let them talk. Don't say things like people said to me. Like uh, one lady came to me and said, well, I know a guy that lost his wife. And a month later, he lost both his parents in an automobile accident. I wanted to say, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what happened to him. I care what happened to me. That doesn't help me any better to know that somebody lost three people in a month and I only lost I only lost one. So I guess I'm supposed to be thankful. No, you know, you can't do that. Uh, things that people say at funeral homes uh, are, are tough, too. You know, don't say God needed her up there more than you needed her down here. Because what I want to say is, hey, God's got a whole bunch of people. I just wanted one. You know, come on, God, share. So uh, that's the worst thing I think is I hate to. I've got, I know now to just say, I love you. I guess that's my other message. When I go to the funeral home and I say, so I just put, put my arm around him and say, Hey, I love you. Because when you say, I love you, that says I'm here for you. I'll do for you. I feel sorry. For you know, all of it said in that one little phrase, I love you. Maybe you don't even have to say that. Maybe you just have to give them a hug and then they know. So I guess those are two messages. Well, you thank know, you so if much. The, if the griever just listen to him and don't forget to say, I love you. And thank you. And like I say, call me, text me, you know, email me, whatever, folks. I'm here. Well, thank you so much, Tom. And I am big on just listen, you know. Stop trying to give the advice. We just want you to listen when we're grieving. Uh, it goes so much further than you realize if yep. you just listen. So, Tom, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful love story, your beautiful books with us today in on Tea Time and sharing your incredible tea because your tea is incredible. Time, everlasting love and action. You know, it's a strong cup of tea that he spills and he flows it well. So, Tom, thank you so much for that. And thank, thank you, you to all the thank you to all the listening audience out there. If you'd like to know more about Miss Liz's Tea Times, check out my website at 
thrivingtime.com. If you'd like to be a guest in 2024, reach out to me as well. We will be seeing you all back at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today and at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There are two more guests that are coming up this afternoon. We have Andrea Lee Austin coming in, and she'll be talking about um, my conscious wellness. And then we're finishing up with Money Wise with uh, Kaylee Brosvert. Uh, Miss Liz's tongue is always a twist in here, but I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Tea Time because I could not do this without you guys. So thank you. And I'll see everybody this afternoon for the second Tea Time of this week.